Well, good morning. We're going to be in James chapter 5. Uh, if you're new here, we've been uh, going through the book of James, uh, as we typically do here at the Oaks. We go through books of the Bible, which we think is very important. Uh, so we get the context, we get the whole of, of what we're understanding about this letter, or about this scripture. And here in James, uh, the past, uh, I guess pretty much the whole book, has been very uh, street-level Christianity. Uh, it's down to the nitty-gritty of life. It's down to the basics of the way we live. Uh, it's talked about how do we face trials and troubles, and temptations. How do we view people? Do we view those who are rich more important than those who don't have much? Do we favor one or the other? Do we show favoritism in any way? Um, Then it talks about our faith and how we have works that produce that are produced in our life because we have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Son of Jesus Christ and what He did, the good news of Jesus, affects our lives. It doesn't just stop here, but it goes out with our hands, our feet, and our love for people. Um, Then it talks about the tongue, which all of us probably can work on, our language and the way we speak to people, the way we talk about people, um, but our words... Our language, what we say, can curse man or bless man. But it also can praise God, or it could be unrighteous talk, and it could be against God. And, and one of the scriptures that it talks about right there in, in, in James 3, it says, Don't you know that the people that you curse are made in the image of God? Reality sets in when we understand these people were made in the image of God. And so the way we speak to each other, the way we speak to brothers and sisters in Christ, should reflect the gospel, right? It, re- it should reflect the good news of Jesus that we believe and that uh, has made us different, has changed us. Uh, then we get into the different kinds of wisdom. We talk about wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowing. Wisdom is lived out. You know something, you live it out. Same way when we talked about in James, that if we know something, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, then it's sin for them. You're responsible for, for what you know. If you know to love your neighbor and you don't do it, then it's sin for you. If you know to disciple people and you don't disciple people, then it is sin for you. If you know to take care of the poor and the widow and those who are, are, uh, are less fortunate and can't, uh, can't be in a place that we're at financially, if we don't take care of those people, then it is sin for you. If you know that the, the, the scriptures tell us to take care of the widows and the orphans and the, those who are in need. Um, in chapter 4, it talks about our fights and our quarrels, right? I mean, you see how specific James is with these people. He's not very general. He's saying you're having some fights and quarrels amongst you. And that means that your desires are ungodly. And that your desires are of this world. You're worldly people if you are arguing and fighting all the time. 
Uh, but those who are godly people, those who love Jesus, those who believe the gospel, those things that most people would argue about are petty because we live for something greater and we have eternity on our mind and on our hearts because we know that this world will pass away and this world uh, gives no satisfaction compared to the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done. To know Jesus is greater than anything and any material, anything in this world, like Moses said. There's nothing greater. He had the riches of Pharaoh at his hands, but he says it's incomparable to knowing Jesus and the grace of God. So now we get to the point where we just talked about the will of God. Do you seek the will of God daily? Do you truly seek out what God wants, or do you live life as it's your own, self-sovereignty. We talked about self-sovereignty is sin. But those who believe in the sovereignty of God and trust in Him and lean on Him, they will know the will of God. But you have to submit your life to Him. God may be showing you things that is His will that's specific to your life, but the question is, are you following the Scripture today? Last week, are you in God's will? Because there's so much of God's will in his scripture. I mean, it even says, this is God's will. And I read scriptures last week about those, those scriptures that say, this is God's will. This pleases God. Do we do those? Because if we're not doing those, what makes us think that if God tells us to take a certain job or to do a certain thing, that we're going to listen to him when it's something specific to our life, when it's very clear in the scriptures what it tells us to do, and we don't do it. It's very important that we read the scriptures and our immediate response is obedience to God. Because it says if we know what to do and we know the good to do and we don't do it, then it is sent for us. So that's what we've gone through so far. It's kind of an introduction to where we've been if you're new here. Now we're getting into James chapter 5. And we're going to go through 1 through 6. So let's read this scripture together. It's very... uh, it's just harsh words. It's harsh. Um, but we're going to read together. We can't skip over it. <laughs> we don't skip over Scripture, so we're going to read it. So it says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is c- coming to you. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and its clarity. God, we ask that your spirit would teach us and that your spirit would make us what we're not. 
God, show us the gospel through this scripture. And may we have a heart of justice as you have a heart of justice for the people you have created. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 1, right out the gate, says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Weep and wail. Why does he tell them to weep and wail? Because he knows of the judgment that they will face when they see God. And why will they face misery and judgment when they see God? It's because of the way that they have used their money and the way that they have received their money. They receive their money by not paying people. They receive their money by not paying the poor. Those who come out and work for them and and harvest it and cut the fields, these are poor people. And they need to get paid. But instead, they hoard their money and they stick it in their pockets and they say it's mine to keep and there's nothing really that you can do about it. They received money unrighteously. You see, you may not own a business or you may not have a field or you may not harvest, but here's the thing. Some of you here may own businesses. Some of you here have a responsibility as a business owner to take care of your workers. It's that simple, guys. Take care of the people that work for you. You give them what they're due. If they go out and work for you, you don't hold the money because you need it. They work for you. You pay them what they deserve. You pay them what you've agreed upon. I know that sounds so simple, and pretty much everybody does that, but some people may not. And the scripture is here, and I'm not going to pass over it. It says to take care of the workers that you have and treat them right. Treat them with righteousness. Treat them as if they are made in the image of God because they are. This idea of being poor and and treating the poor a certain way isn't new in the book of James. We see that true religion is those who take care of the widows and the orphans, right? That should be the heart of every Christian is to take care of the poor. But these people here... They're stealing from the poor. That's as low as it gets. You're stealing from people who have nothing. And honestly, it's saying that they will die because of it because they have nothing to eat with. This idea of taking care of the poor and taking care of those who don't have much is, goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It says, leave the outside, the outskirts of the fields that you harvest so that those who come by and don't have anything The Lord says, you keep that for them. It is a command all the way in the Old Testament and the New to take care of those who have nothing. And you say, well, they may not be trying or they may not put an effort in or they may have these sins that are causing that. Yeah. 
That's right. They do. Most of them do. But that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus became poor that you may be become rich. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. He became poor that you could have the riches of His grace. So why do we take care of the poor? Why do we take care of those who have no need? When we pass by people, why do we not take care of them? It's because most of the time we're busy or most of the time we don't have the time to even think about those people that we're passing by. But it's going to take a seeking out of people that don't have much because a lot of people hold in their problems and they're not going to tell you that they have need maybe even until they're on the side of the street but the church here we should take care of one another the practical needs of the church we have to take care of one another why why do we have to take care of one another one because the scripture tells us to do so And we must be obedient. But second, it is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows that we love one another to the point that we will sell things. Like it talks about in Acts. It says they sold their land and they sold their materials and they sold their things because they saw that people had needs. Wow. But how can you get to that point? How can you just say here... Here's my stuff. Here's my things because I love you as a brother and a sister in Christ. How do you get to that point? You can't see your material as eternal. You can't see the things you have as your own. Everything here is God's. Everything here is not yours to own. And if we see the reality of things, because I I know this looks like reality, and even me, myself, I get caught in what I think is reality is here, but it's not. Reality is one day we will stand before our maker, and none of the things we have, and none of the things that we obtain through work, through labor, through any of that stuff that we try and get and gain and success, When you stand before God, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is did you keep up an eternal award, that treasures that don't rot and that don't corrode. See, this idea of corrosion that it's talking about, in verse 2 it says, Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. In the last days, you have hoarded wealth. So this idea of of hoarding and holding on to things, even gold, things that don't corrode. I mean, you think about it. Gold does not corrode. But it says here, these things have corroded. It's a reality of the last days. One day there will be no more of the things that you hold on to. Because the way you came into the world is the way you're going to leave out. 
The way you came in was naked, and the way you come out is naked. You're not going to have anything but the gospel. What do you believe? What is your faith in? How have you lived your life? Do you take care of those? Matthew 28. If you go read, um, read Matthew 25, I'm sorry. There's this parable. There's this beautiful parable about taking care of those, feeding the hungry, giving those who are, to those who are thirsty, going visiting the, the, those who are in jail and prison. It says, those people are Jesus to you. We must visit. We must take care of the poor. We must take care of those who have needs. And if we don't, he's going to separate us, the sheep and the goat. I'm not saying work saves you, but your works are produ- uh, produce something in your faith. It's a production of your faith. It's righteous works that your faith produce. Because if you don't have righteous works, then is your faith real? And that's the whole point of James. That's the climax of James. It says, faith without works is dead. If you have zero works, your faith is nothing. It has no life. It even makes a, a picture here. It's like the body without the spirit. You know, we need a spirit in us. Without the spirit, we're dead. We are spiritual beings. We have a soul, right? But without the soul, without the spirit, we are dead. The same without works. Faith without works is dead. It has no life. Because it's not genuine. It's not real. So, the last days, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Yeah? Jesus is coming back. It's what we wait for. It's what we crave. We crave to see Jesus. That is our hope. That is our our righteous waiting on him. You see, all in the New Testament, that's all they talk about. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming. He's coming. They're just waiting for him to come. And why? That is their hope. That is what they wait for because Jesus has made all things new. And Jesus has restored all things. And he will glorify us in his midst. We wait for that day of glorification. The day Jesus comes back will be an awesome day for many. But it will be a horrific day for many as well. And I'm asking you, when Jesus comes back, is it going to be a day where there's misery and judgment? Or is it going to be a day of rejoicing? I've seen my Savior face to face. I've seen the one who has restored my life. I've seen the one who has given me grace when I didn't deserve it and still don't. The truth of Jesus coming back should affect your life. It should. 
we should be thinking and we should be ready for the day. It says be ready in the scripture. Be ready for when Jesus comes back. Be ready. Are you ready for him to come back? It affects us. It affects our everyday life. Because we know that he will come back and he will judge everyone. For every word, for every sin, for every righteous deed, he would judge. It says, verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Our God is a just God. And he loves justice. He hears the cries of those who are crying out in misery because of the bad things that these people have done, that they have not paid them. He hears their cries. He hears your cries too. If he hears the cries of those who are being treated wrongly and treated with injustice, then he hears your cries as well. But our God is a God of justice. Do you believe that? He is a God of justice. And that's why he commands us. He commands us to seek justice, to be a people of justice. Because we are to reflect our God, right? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16. This is what it reads. says, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You hear God commanding us to take care of those and stand up for those who are being oppressed, and who are being treated wrongly. We don't have to look very far to see that, right, in this world. We see injustice every single day. And we hear of it, we know of it, across the world. Our God is a just God, and he loves justice. So we should be people of justice. We should be people who take care of the fatherless, and take care of the widows, And take care of those who are oppressed and stand up for those people. We are God's people and we should reflect God and his character. And so we should be a people who love justice as well. Let's turn to Micah 6.8. Another scripture that talks about us being people of justice. Micah 6, 8. 
right behind John. This is what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Remember we're talking about the will of God? What does the Lord require of you? It says to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see God commanding us to act justly. We are a people of justice. In the way we work, the way we play, the way we do life, we're people of justice. So here's some questions for you. I have some questions for you. Do you fall into the temptation to ever hoard your riches? Do you ever fall into the temptation of hoarding your riches for yourself? And how does that affect the poor? And how does that affect the people who have nothing? It does affect them. And it also affects your relationship with God. Because it is an idol to you. If you hoard your riches for yourself. And it says like, like cattle. Don't even know that they're going to the slaughter. They're just eating and eating and eating. Greed. And gluttony. They don't even know that they're heading to the slaughter by living that lifestyle. The very thing that they love and the very thing that they live by is the very thing that brings them to the slaughter. Are you a people, are we a people who hoard and who have greed in our hearts? Are we a people who God has given us and blessed us and we in return give back to God? I know we say 10% you should give back to God. But Jesus comes in and he kind of gives a a really hard picture. He says, you must give your life. Everything you have, give it to God. Anything God asks of you, you, you must give it. It's a command. If your life is your own, then it's not his. That means you have idolatry in your heart. What is idolatry? Idolatry is something that has a higher standard of worship than God does. When you worship the very thing that is above God, that's idolatry. When you crave that over God, when you depend on that to satisfy you over God, that's idolatry. And if your wealth and your riches and your materials are the only thing on your mind on a daily basis is when you get alone and you get quiet and you just start thinking, if what you start thinking about is all the things that you can obtain and all the things you can hoard and all the things you can store up, that's idolatry. Because our only satisfaction is in Christ. God blesses us. Don't hear this scripture in James to say that you can't be rich. Don't hear that. Because that is not biblical. You can be rich and you can be poor. You can be poor and still love money. Can you believe that? You can be poor and desire 
and want money so bad and want things so bad that you love it. You love it. And you can be rich and not love money. You can have both. You, it's not just if you're rich, you love money. You can be rich and not love money. You can be rich and bless many people. But we look at the widow who brought basically the two cents. She had nothing, but she gave everything. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Do you love money? And do you hoard and hold on to the things that you have? Or are you a people, are we a people who give generously and joyfully to God? It is a joy to bless people. God has blessed us, and we must bless people. Because it's a joy. He's given us the opportunity. Like I talked about that parable last week, that, that God gave these three people certain amounts of money. But one of the guys went and dug a hole and put it in the hole and didn't do anything with it. And the other guys, they worked with it. They invested interests and all those things. But this guy just went and dug a hole. God has given you much. God has blessed you with much. Even though you don't, may not feel it, God has blessed you with much. You are rich in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest riches of all, is to be rich in Christ, in his grace. You have much as a believer. The question is, are you the person who goes and digs a hole? Are you the person who invests? Invest. Invest in people. Give to people. Bless people. The gospel will be proclaimed in that. The gospel will go out in blessing people and taking care of those who are poor. So at, at the basic level of this, this scripture, if you're an owner or if you're paying people or if you're receiving money, even if you're not an owner, how do you get your money? Is it righteously? Do you get it with working hard and getting it right or maybe stealing from people? How do you get your money? But also, how do you treat your workers? People who own businesses, how do you treat your workers? Do you treat them right? Do you go above and beyond sometimes to take care of them? Even when they don't deserve it sometimes, you take care of them because they work for you and you care about them. I know me personally, I've been blessed by someone in this congregation who owns a business. And they bless me and they bless me and they bless me. And to some people it may be small things, but it's big things to me. And I can tell you that the gospel has worked in my heart because of this person blessing me. Just, just constantly just giving to me. Giving me an opportunity to get back on my feet and get things back going. Those things bless people, but it also shows the gospel. And it's an opportunity to sh- share the gospel with people. Can we share the gospel with people without taking care of their needs first? Yes, we can. We can. But isn't the gospel so much more powerful when we take care of people's personal, physical needs first while we are telling them their spiritual need as well? God has given us opportunities here in this community within your friendships, within your workplace, within your families, within this church body, in this family, God has given us many opportunities. Don't be afraid 
to ask for help, church. That's what we're here for. We are supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Ask for help. And the church should get together and try as best as possible to help those who are in need. Do you struggle with the sin of greed? Do you struggle with holding on to things? Or are you a person who gives generously and gives joyfully? That's a question that you have to ask yourself, that we must ask. This this whole book is about examining our hearts. So let us give generously. Let us give joyfully. Let us be people who take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. Let us do that. I'm trying to encourage you to do that. Let's do it. Let's not talk about it. Let's not, you know, get a feeling about it. Let's be obedient to what God has called us to. And let's seek out people who are in need. And let's take care of them as the gospel has given us a picture of Jesus taking care of us when we were poor. Jesus becoming rich that we may become. Becoming poor that we may become rich. Let's pray.